Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of Saw Something Scary. Jeff Wright, Derek Zoo, back in the studio. Jeff, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Man, I'm doing okay. I know it's tough times out there, but things are okay at the Wright household, and I've got some I got some stuff going on professionally I'm excited about. It's gonna be uh you know, a good challenge. And uh anyway, yeah, pretty 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 well over here uh on this side of the, the conversation. How are you doing, bud? Man, I'm okay. Uh I've been battling a sinus infection for the last week, I guess. Um, and still doing, you know, two to three shows a day. So that hadn't helped anything, but today's my day off. So as soon as we get done recording this, I'm going right back to bed. <laughs> yeah, good for you, man. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jeff, uh, recommends a, uh, a steady course of sleep, pizza and whatever you enjoy drinking. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, it's going to be mellow mushroom pizza, a lot of Gatorade for the electrolytes and, uh, heavy doses of sleep all day long. Yes, sir. That, that'll cure what ails you. Amen. For sure. Uh, man, I will tell you this though. I do feel a little bit better about, uh, just life in general because we finally put paranormal activity in our rearview mirror. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that is true for you. I, I, I mean, I also feel better about life. I don't think. I don't think I'd join you on the paranormal activity <laughs> thing, but uh, I never hated the series as bad as you did. I got really frustrated about some of the movies, but didn't viscerally loathe it at the core of my being the way you did. So, yeah, I'm, I'm probably getting a better, better version of being done with that series. I actually, though, am going to record another review of a paranormal activity uh, movie if I can at all carve out the time in my schedule. Hold up. Oh, okay. I've just got to ask. So I saw where on our Reddit page, and you know how often I frequent Reddit, um, I saw where somebody said, hey, you missed one. And it was like a Japanese version of Paranormal Activity. Don't tell me that in your very small window of free time, you sat down and watched that. Well, I mean, if you don't want me to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I just freely confess I have a problem, right? That I mean, I watch a lot of horror movies. Two, I have a problem. I like to complete series. And so uh, I did not go watch the Japanese paranormal activity. My goodness. And my hope with, with as you mentioned, a, a busy schedule uh, is to get on Patreon and give a maybe even a video review. It, it won't be super long, but a video review of the Japanese film to kind of say, hey, I watched it. You want to talk about it? And also to rectify whatever deep flaw in my constitution requires me to complete series of movies. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Patreon peeps, that's going to be quite the bonus episode. Because uh, not only will you get to hear about the Japanese version of Paranormal Activity, you also get to see Jeff's handsome mug I'm, you know, on there. At least my mug. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go sign up. Scary podcast. Uh, <laughs> let me try that again. So go ahead and sign up. Patreon.com forward slash scary podcast. Sinus infection is creeping into the brain. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. I hope to I hope to have it up there and I'll be done with paranormal activity. I mean, really, uh, our friend Allison has has prompted us to, to take a look at Final Destination. Nope. And I mean, the real fear for me is like the, you know, the person with a habit that I am. I'll start that and I won't be able to quit till I watch them all. And I don't, I don't know if I want to do that to me. I'm telling you right now, man, I I can't, (laughs) we can, we can schedule it for later in the year or even next year, but uh, I can't go from paranormal activity into the final destination franchise. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. There needs to be some, uh, some, some cooling off period. I can feel it. Yeah. 
We've got to have, I mean, not only is this week's uh, movie an amazing buffer, but we're going to need like maybe six to eight to 12 weeks worth of buffers before I can, before I can go, yeah, let's go Final Destination. The first one isn't bad, but oh boy, it tanks quickly after. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think to her credit, she's about, just watched the first one, but again, I have a problem. Yeah. I don't know if I can, I can do that, but I will tell you this, man, I can tell, I can tell you're in a better place because you just optimistically uh, predicted that there would be a next year. And I, I love that. I'm, I'm with you on this train of optimism. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Hey, I tell you what, when uh, when you put paranormal activity in your back window, there's a lot of room for optimism. Yeah, baby. Unfortunately, in the front window, you know what I'm seeing? <laughs> well, I mean, we already know there's a new one coming out eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but for this week, I see a cow. Oh, another cow. It might be the same cow. It might be the same cow. Yeah, baby. I mean, it really is a treat this week that we have set in front of us. Yeah, I'm very excited. Very, very, very excited. If if this is the first time you're listening to the episode, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Jeff and I just got done with Paranormal Activity. You can listen to those in the archives. I don't encourage that, but you can. Uh, actually, I encourage you to, to listen to our reviews. I don't encourage you to watch the movies, but <laughs> the reviews are pretty entertaining. This week, as a reward for making it through Toby and the vast ridiculousness of the Paranormal Activity movies, Jeff and I got to sit down and watch one of my all-time favorite movies. And I think I speak for Jeff when I say that as well, um, 1996's Twister. And I am pumped to talk to you about that. But before we talk about that, Jeff, let's uh, let's bring up some what you're watching stuff. What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? Yeah, man. So I watched the Swamp Match from the Extreme Rules of Horror thing. What yeah, was the called? horror show. The horror, horror show. show at Extreme Rules. Yeah, I actually watched most of the pay-per-view, but I specifically kind of set aside time to watch the Swamp Match as the little mini film it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let me ask you, because I'm kind of a geek for Bray Wyatt. I don't know that I'm very objective. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. But I also think that, like, I'm going to enjoy most of the stuff that looks like Bray getting to do what Bray wants. Mm-hmm. So was that a good match or a movie? Or, I don't know how we even talk about these new pre-scripted, pre-filmed things, but was it good? I think that it's probably the second best um, cinematic match that the WWE's put out. Uh, I don't think that anything's going to beat the Boneyard match. Sure. Now, I, I loved I loved the Firefly Funhouse more than I liked the Boneyard match from WrestleMania, but the Firefly Funhouse really wasn't a wrestling match, so I don't count it. It's its yeah. own thing. It's like David S. David S. Pumpkins. It's its own thing. Sure, sure, that makes um, sense. <laughs> but yeah, as far as like the cinematic matches go, I think this is the second best one, and I'm glad that you brought it up because I, I did want to talk about it here because it really is shot like a horror movie. Yep, yep. and it's a. I mean, it's a it's a genre of horror movie that I really enjoy, like Southern Gothic, mm-hmm. creepy swamp. Uh, it, it, it's not just a horror movie, but it's like a version of a horror movie that I was really into. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I guess the only thing is, is for this is you, you didn't really have like a hero. I mean, I guess you do have a hero, but he's a monster too. So it's, it's more like Godzilla and King Kong battling in the swamp, you know, than your stereotypical, like white hat, black hat. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of Jason versus Freddy. Yeah. You know what? That's probably the better way of putting it, honestly. 
big, big, beefy powerhouse who can't be stopped versus a uh, maniacal schemer who has supernatural powers. Uh, yeah. Pretty good framing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure who, you know, I assume that Bruce Pritchard probably had a little bit to do with it. Obviously, Bray Wyatt, you know, that probably came from his mind uh, as well. Uh, but I, I really did enjoy it. I probably need to go back and rewatch it. Uh, I'll I'll be real honest with you. I fell asleep through uh, that pay-per-view. I think when it got to like Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins, I conked out. Uh, but I, I went back and made sure to watch the Swamp match just because I'd heard, you know, I'd heard some things about it. I haven't really heard any like I haven't heard the same amount of buzz as I heard for the Boneyard match. Yeah, but that's a shame. Um, I I think you're right that the Boneyard was better, but mm-hmm. this one had strengths that uh, maybe superseded some of the strengths of the Boneyard match. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, listeners, I assume y'all kind of know. And we talk about wrestling on this podcast fairly often, but the the setup is Bray Wyatt and Derek. Correct all this that I get wrong. Bray Wyatt at one time was a cult leader. Braun Strowman was his henchman, one of his two henchmen. Uh, Bray went away. Braun became uh, kind of a superstar in his own right. Bray came back as this new creature called the Fiend that is a different personality um, and decided to destroy his former protege. But now, Derek, the part I didn't because I haven't been watching the weekly shows, the Fiend personality seemed to, to take a backseat and the old Bray Wyatt cult leader personality was in charge. Is that am I understanding that rightly? Yeah. So one of the lines of dialogue in this thing is Bray says, you know how hard it is, uh, something along those lines of like, do you know how hard it is to not be in control of your own body? And it really made me think like, oh, snap, is this like a split situation Yeah. in Bray Wyatt or is it like a get out situation or maybe both, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, a version of that is what went through my head as someone who's not been watching week to week. Yeah. Bray had been now, trapped below the surface while the fiend was running the show. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you, man. I haven't been watching week to week. Uh, the only wrestling that I watch really week to week is AEW. Um, WWE has gotten to just be too ridiculous for me. Uh, obviously, I still have the network and I still I still try to keep up, but I haven't watched a Raw or a SmackDown in weeks, if not months. Um, so I was a little fuzzy on the details um, on this one, but uh, everything that you've said so far sounds right. Well, there's I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but there's a there's a comic book storyline that I really like in The Incredible Hulk where the different versions of the Hulk and Bruce Banner kind of go to war. So Bruce Banner's there. The Green Hulk, who's a rage monster, is there. The Gray Hulk, who is not as strong as the Green Hulk, but is a distinct personality that is humorous and still superhumanly strong, uh, are all kind of competing for the controls of the body, which is very much like Split. And eventually, through some kind of therapy, the three are combined into one personality. Mm-hmm. called The Professor, and I really enjoyed that line and uh, that line of stories in the comic books back in the day. And so, you know, some version of that with Bray Wyatt is super cool because he's, you know, he's clearly built his character on, I mean, mental illness is probably unkind to those who actually suffer from mental illness, but the idea of a split personality, competing personalities, things like that is very much part of the Bray Wyatt character. Yeah. Any favorite spots from the match? Um, I like the sister Alexa thing. I did too, man. Uh, 
So the fact that they are doing, we talked about this when we were doing a wrestling podcast that they needed a continuity editor who could like pull mm-hmm. up old storylines. That they went back to his and Alexis' chemistry was great, absolutely great. And even just seeing her there is like the demonic seductress. She pulled it off really well. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. in the same in the same vein. I enjoyed Braun being attacked by Braun. I thought that was a clever yeah. move. Yeah, I thought that was great, and um, I loved the ending of it. You know, because you get faked out. It, I mean, it really was like a horror movie. Like it was, mm-hmm. it really was like a Jason or a Freddy movie. Uh, you know, you you think that Braun has overcome Bray and and uh, vanquished the Beast, and then all of a sudden, here comes the Fiend out of nowhere and drags Braun into the swamp, and uh, and then when he pops out, it's that uh, it's that demonic mask, and and uh, for those of you that are listening that don't know what we're talking about, just do me a favor, Google Bray Wyatt the Fiend, do a Google image, and you'll see this uh, insanely scary mask. That, like, Tom Savini helped develop, right? Yeah, yeah, Tom Savini helped develop it, for sure. Um, it's so, not to get on, like, a pro wrestling soapbox, because I know that's not what our listeners are, are here for, but, man, it's so disappointing to me to see what they've done with, with Bray, not just, obviously, not just in the time that we've been doing this podcast, but just in the last year, man. Do you? I mean, you remember this time last year, The Fiend was about to debut at SummerSlam, and that was one of the coolest moments in pro wrestling in the last, what, five to ten years? Yeah, well, so on that front, I'm. it, it, it helps me not to watch week to week on that front because yeah. I can just kind of skip along through these highest profile feuds and, and just get to live in the naive ignorance of assuming they have handled the character well in between them. Yeah. You know, Bray is just as strong today for me as he was when he debuted at SummerSlam because I'm only watching these super high level spots. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's accurate. Um, I guess for me, it just sucks that like they they made the fiend this unkillable monster and then he went up against Goldberg. And it feels like now Bray has been in first gear and not allowed to go any farther than that. Yeah, well, that's I mean, that's what got him last time. Yeah. Uh, But you know what? That doesn't happen in Jeff Wright world because Jeff Wright only I mean, Jeff Wright knows nothing of Goldberg beating Bray. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Yeah, I, um, I've been uh, selectively editing my own consciousness. Yeah, and I need to do that too, because I, I think that that guy is. I think he's a decent wrestler. Like he can he can put together. He's he's no Shawn Michaels. Which, by the way, today's Shawn Michaels' birthday. Uh, oh. Happy fifty fifth birthday to the greatest wrestler of all time. Here, here. Um, he's no you know he's no like. Shawn Michaels from an in-ring standpoint, but he is like the, you know, we already talked about the undertaker a little bit. He is the successor to the undertaker. And I've said that for seven years now, you know, probably eight, honestly, um, if he were booked right. And he just, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with Vince McMahon anymore. You know, I really don't. I don't know why he does the start stop uh pushes, you know, quote unquote pushes. I don't know why he feels the need to book his character strong for, you know, three to six weeks and then book some crappily for, you know, uh six to nine weeks after that. Like I don't I don't understand it. Um I just know that if it, you know, and it's easy to say this when you're uh when you're a dude with a podcast, but if I had the book, quote unquote, Bray Wyatt is unstoppable and he's an attraction. He should have never been universal champion, um, but he should he should pop up from time to time and just wreck people 
and be done with it. Yeah, he should be a thing apart. Yeah. That, like the guy who can come in and actually wrestle and supposed to be a you know, a physical combatant just runs into this thing that's from a different universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Finn Balor has some of that too, uh, or at least did back in the day, but but that should be Bray's unique role as The Undertaker sort of starts doing less and less. And as he, you know, has sort of transitioned to this more biker version, which is authentic to who he is as a person. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to, you know, to the... To back to the match, two questions I have for you. One, yes, uh, that was shades of Jason with with Bray emerging from the swamp waters and grabbing. I love that he grabbed Braun by the lower teeth. I thought that was a great detail. He didn't grab the mm-hmm. beard or the back of the head, but he grabbed him by his teeth. Well, he did the mandible claw. Oh, of course, that's what that was. That's what that was. Well, it worked out. Even as a guy who didn't realize it was a finisher, I just thought that's. That just made it seem more visceral and more violent, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, on a scale of one to six million, how sad is Eric Rowan that he wasn't involved? Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, I I think that they kind of tried to involve him and Luke Harper, the now known as Brody Lee, because one guy was in, like, the jumpsuit that Harper used to, or uh, that uh, Rowan used to wear. Yeah. And the other guy was in, like, a wife beater and jeans like Luke Harper used to wear. Okay. And, and so I, th- I think that that was their way of being like, oh, these are supposed to be Harper and Rowan. Yeah. Even though we don't have them on the roster anymore. Yeah. Which, by the way, I'm so glad that uh, Brody Lee is no longer with the WWE because he is thriving right now in AEW. He's in AEW. Good. We we always thought that. And we always thought that, I mean, he wasn't a spring chicken, you know, so he needed kind of a, he needed a chance to shine. Yeah. Yeah. And not only, I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on a, on a tangent. Uh, Not only is he, is he doing great in the ring and has a a fun storyline going on, but, um, you know, the, uh, the young bucks, one of the tag teams in AEW, one of the vice presidents, executive vice presidents, they have a YouTube show every week called being the elite and the, uh, and Brody Lee is actually the leader of a cult now himself. Oh, and, and it's some of the, it's some of the funnier stuff on the show. Oh, good. I mean, dude, I've yeah. got to make more time to watch AEW. It, it does get crowded out in my weekly schedule, but I need to get in and check that out. Man, I'll, t- I'll tell you, if if you're if you are going to watch any wrestling right now, and you know you know me, dude, I've been a NXT homer the entire time it's been around, but I don't even watch NXT much anymore. I just I just watch AEW. Um, I watch AEW Dark on Tuesday nights on YouTube, and then I watch there. Their uh, show on Dynamite on TNT, and that's pretty much all I need, man. I don't really, I don't watch much on the network. I keep it, you know, for the pay per views and for the specials and stuff. But that's really all the wrestling I need anymore. Yeah, they're they're doing great. Yeah, good deal. Well, for one for one shining, I don't know, twenty minute moment, we we got what the House of Horrors from Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton could not be, and yeah. got the Swamp of Horror. And you know, listener. I don't know if you're into wrestling or not. I know several of you are because we talk with you all about it. But if you're not, I still think maybe you would go find this match. And like I said, it's 20 minutes. It's kind of a it's a version of like a, a Jason movie with Cape Fear and some supernatural stuff added in. I think it's well worth well worth finding for 20 minutes of time. Yeah. I don't know if you're a network subscription, but if you can find just the match, that, that would be worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. And there there is a free version of the network. I don't think that they'll have this on that free version, but there is a free version of the network. If you'd like to go back and watch, uh, we talked about the Firefly Funhouse. Um, 
from WrestleMania. I, I don't know if that's on there either or not, but you can at least go on the network and look at, you know, you can search for Bray Wyatt and you can see some cool uh, Bray Wyatt moments. And uh, you can kind of, you can kind of see where, where Jeff and I have been coming from, you know, with all of our praise on him. For sure. Uh, but yeah, this, this isn't your typical, like these two guys don't get into a wrestling ring and, uh, you know, they don't, they don't bounce around and, and, you know, do all that kind of stuff like this legit is, it looks like a movie. It feels like a movie. Um, but it's, it's based around these two wrestling characters that have a lot of backstory and it's, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yep. I agree. I agree. I really enjoyed it and I'm, I'm glad I took the time to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just personally want to thank Matt Hardy for bringing cinematic wrestling to the forefront of of uh, professional wrestling. Yeah, you know, the swamp made me think of the Lake of Resurrection that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And it makes me it, it makes me curious. I know you're not watching week to week. I mean, are we going to get a brain a brainwashed Braun Strowman that emerges from that swamp? I don't know, man. You know, Braun's still the universal champion, so I assume that they're going to I assume that they're going to try to blow this feud off at SummerSlam. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I could see that happening. You know, I could see Braun trying, you know, Braun reverting back to old school Braun for a couple of weeks and maybe breaking the spell and, and that leading into their match at SummerSlam. Cause they've still got a, a month before SummerSlam to promote that and everything. Maybe um, we get broken Braun. Maybe. I, I mean, I hope not. <laughs> just just be- just because, you know, I know the track record the WWE has with with supernatural characters. Um yeah, I don't I don't really don't know. Well, you know, booking the territory here myself, a version of Braun emerging from that swamp who's kind of a throwback, more primal, more the monster among men, you know, less personality, more rage. I could also I could also handle that. You know, he just yeah. came out as a man, well, I mean broken, but reduced to almost subhuman levels and there to tear apart his tormentor. I, I'd watch that. Yeah, for sure, man. I would love that. Anytime they're ready for him to flip another ambulance, I'm I'm good for it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did something similar to that not too long ago with uh, John Morrison and the Miz. They were in like a production truck or something and he flipped that. And uh, I was like, yeah, there's the brawn I like. Yeah. I'm not through with you yet, Roman. <laughs> Which, well, uh, b- by the way, and let this be the last wrestling thing we talk about today. Uh, have you seen Roman Reigns lately? No, I haven't. Unfortunately, I haven't. Uh, brother, he is jacked. Oh, good. Like jizz act. Good. Good. I mean, uh, anytime somebody can beat leukemia, I'm there for it. But I like that guy. And I'm one yeah. of the few Roman, Rain mark- Roman Reigns marks out there. So I'm just glad to hear he's doing well. I'm sure that WWE is making people hate him still, but I'm glad he personally is doing well. Well, he hasn't been on TV in a, in a long time. Oh, okay. uh, he. So when all this COVID stuff started, he went home. Sure, because he's immunocompromised, uh, right? Well, not just that, but his he and his wife, I think, just had twins. Oh man, I, this is just a basket of good news. I'm glad you're telling yeah. me this. Uh, and he he said, "Look, I'm I'm staying away from it for my babies. I'm not." You know, yeah, I'm I, you know, I have cancer and stuff. And so obviously I'm at, I'm at risk, but I'm I'm staying away from it for my babies. So he's been at home. Uh, he was the original plan. Golly, we're getting in the weeds. I'm sorry, guys. Um, the original plan was he was going to beat Bill Goldberg. You know, Goldberg beat the fiend mm. uh, for the Universal Championship. He was going to beat Bill Goldberg for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania. He stepped away, said, I'm not, you know, this was also around the time that the WWE um, found out that they had someone that tested positive for COVID. 
Um, which, by the way, there is a rumor going around that Ric Flair tested positive for COVID. <laughs> He's like that SNL skit, dude. If if you told me he tested positive for anything, I'd be like, oh, OK, sure. He he is. He's Bill Brasky. That's who <laughs> Ric Flair is. Um, <laughs> also, coincidentally enough, COVID tested positive for Ric Flair. Like, it is the weirdest <laughs> thing. Um so anyway, so he goes home, Braun Strowman takes his spot and beats Goldberg for the Universal Championship. Um but yeah, he he posted a couple workout videos. He was doing some uh he was doing some uh shoulder work and stuff and then he he struck a pose and the first thing that I thought of was have you seen that that gif of McMahon like looking around like it's it's got some jacked up guy or it may it may even be roman on some of them but he's like looking around and then he gets like this real <sighs> pleasing look on his face yes i know and thank then you he, for for handling it uh with class but i know exactly the one you're talking about and then his eyes cross and he falls out of his chair yeah that's the look i guarantee you that vince got when he saw like how roman looks right now and, and it's to the point where when he comes back, and I think he will. I mean, dude's dude's my age. He's thirty five. Um, when he comes back, I think Vince is like, put him in shorts. <laughs> get that, get that stupid, get that stupid vest off of him. We got to see this vascularity. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm assuming you're in his head because it's not like he hides these things or ever deviates from them. You know. Yeah. But I mean, goodbye me. I, I always like Roman. Never, never hated him. And uh, if he can safely come back and continue his career, good on him, man. Yeah. But also give Bray Wyatt more creative control over his character. Quit messing with him, and let's get some more of these. Did they just call it the Swamp Match? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get some more Swamp Matches. Yeah. Hey, look, man. If if uh, Bray Wyatt just wants to do these cinematic matches for the rest of his career, I'm cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because because I think he's the one character you can use that's going to be able to do them and do them to the to the extent that they're believable um, and that they're fun. You know, they've they have done a cinematic match on every pay-per-view since WrestleMania, and the majority of them have sucked. Hmm. Uh, they did. They did their money in the bank match. They did was was entertaining. But I was like, man. I'm starting to already see the law of diminishing returns from these cinematic matches, you mm-hmm. know? And that was the thing I was the most worried about when, when the Firefly Funhouse and the Boneyard match did so well um, at WrestleMania. Because I was like, man, Vince is going to ride this thing until there's nothing left on it. And uh, and that's that's kind of what's happened, you know? Uh, the week after, or maybe two weeks after WrestleMania, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa had their blow-off match of their feud and they did it in like a cinematic type style match and it wasn't good. Mm. Um, on the last pay-per-view, which was extreme rules, the cinematic match was the street profits versus the Viking Raiders, which I was like, man, this is stupid. Like that was the one for me where I, I almost threw the towel in. I was like, I mean, now you're just doing them just to do them. I mean, just those names, the street profits versus the Viking Raiders kind of feels like dilution of the brand. Yeah. Yeah, keep it for your top talent. Keep it for your interesting characters. Don't just give it to. I mean, and no disrespect to the Viking Raiders or the Street Profits. I I personally think uh, one one half of the Street Profits will wind up being world champion in the next five to ten years. Oh, cool, good for them. Um, but it it just like make sure use it for your bigger names and make sure that the idea is worth doing before you actually do it. 
For sure. There, there's certain talents that I think could fit into that pretty well. I like the new day that I watched back when I was watching regularly might have some fun options in a pre-taped match like that, but mm-hmm. it's also got to be the right talent and yeah. Bray's the right talent. The Undertaker's the right talent. Uh, yes. The horror elements have a rich tradition in, in wrestling, as you know better than I do, Derek. And uh, this is this is ideal. So I don't know, maybe shelve it just for the scary stuff. That'd be cool, too. Yeah, yep. I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm glad we got to talk to talk about the swamp match a little bit. Yeah. So from one natural phenomenon to the other, from one monster to another. Shine on, shine <laughs> on. Are we ready to pull the curtain on 1996? Twister? Brother, let's pull the string. Man, this is uh, this is such a joy. I- I'm just going to throw this out like this, Derek. Throw this review out like this. This is a movie without flaws. Yes. I never list it in my top anything, mm-hmm. but there's nothing that I'm willing to criticize or really see to criticize in this film, particularly not if you consider it as a product of 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, every part of this movie delights me. Yes. Uh, you know what stood out this time, though? What's that? How much of a monster movie this this movie is. Yes. I, I don't know. I guess it's just prepping it for a horror movie podcast, but... Obviously, the the opening scene where the monster takes her dad is a monster movie scene. Mm-hmm. They're cowering behind the door as the monster tries to get in. But then with Joe's kind of uh, mental framework, every distinct tornado is the same tornado. And every distinct tornado is the same tornado that came specifically for her. Like she is a she's kind of a Lori Strode. And that mm-hmm. was never clear to me until I watched it this time. So that's insane. You and I are on the exact same channels, um, but I had it different. Um, I finally realized that this is the on on land version of Moby Dick. Man, yeah, Derek, sometimes it's scary the way that we mind meld. So a good buddy came over to watch this with me. Mm-hmm. It is his wife's favorite movie. She's sort of an amateur weather I don't know what you'd call it. Like she's not employed as a meteorologist, but it's a it's a hobby of her hers. And so her husband came with her. We watched this with my kids and my wife uh, last night as we're recording. And when I'm trying to think, I think it's the fourth tornado where they get Dorothy out of the truck, but everything spills on the ground. Mm-hmm. And you know it goes away and it comes back. And he said, "Well, this is the white whale." And uh. I mean, maybe maybe it's that obvious to people, but it's it, coming out of your mouth hearing him say that last night. It wasn't a thought I ever had, and uh, yeah, it, it does seem like there's a lot of merit to that. This is yeah. this is Moby Dick for the you know the early twentieth. I mean, sorry, the late twentieth century. Yeah, man. It uh, and it truly never dawned on me until watching it this time. And um, you know, I guess it's it's one of those things where I think you and I have said this before. Um, we've, we've really started watching these movies with our reviewer hat on instead of a fan hat. Um, so I, I feel like that we look for things now that we didn't look for before we started this podcast. And that was the, that was the first thing. Like, I mean, I, I still watch those movies. Like I still geeked out at this movie. Um, but that was the biggest thing for me. Is I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is like, this is Moby Dick. She's got to, she's got to beat this white whale and it doesn't matter what the tornado is just as long as she beats it. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a completely, uh, accurate and reasonable read on the film. 
I, I mean, I still think my allegiance goes, not surprisingly, since I'm the one who kind of came to the conclusion, but the the Lori Strode that shows up in the Bloomhouse Halloween, mm-hmm. I think Joe is a version of that where she was tormented by this thing as a child. She spent her adult years trying to grapple with what happened to her, but also get a handle on it mm-hmm. and and be protected from it ever happening again. And so the Dorothy mechanism instrument becomes her way to trap Michael in the basement. Yeah. Make him controllable, put an end to his terror. And uh, I mean, I don't think either one of those is illegitimate as a read on the movie. Like, I think the movie suggests both of those. I'm not a reader response guy. I think there's, you know, any read on a movie should be justifiable within the elements of the film. And I think both of those reads can show up pretty quickly if you pay attention to the elements of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Other thing that stood out was just how good the soundtrack is. <laughs> I, I just, I, again, I've watched this movie probably seven or eight times. And something about this rewatch, I was like, dude, this is a, all the mood. All the music is basically cowboy music until you get to the like storm chasing rock and roll stuff. And every choice they make worked for me right down to the ground, man. I, I wouldn't yeah. change anything. Yeah. Uh, can I, can I ask you this question? Or well, can yes, I ask sir. you another question besides mm-hmm. that one? Um, is there a better director with only five credits to his name than Jan DeBont, who directed this? So I'm embarrassed to say this. When his name came up last night, and I watched the Netflix version. I don't know if you own it or whatnot, but I watched it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. When his name came up, I thought, well, this guy really captured lightning in a bottle because I didn't know the name. Yeah. And so I got on IMDb to be like, well, what did this loser do after Twister? It's all downhill from here. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed as a film fan. Like, how did I not know about this guy? And and so to, it's a long way of answering your question. I can't imagine so. Maybe he just got five done and was like, you know what? It's not going to get better. Yeah. So uh, the crazy thing is, is that he was supposed to direct Minority Report. Really? And due to the box office bomb of the happening or excuse me the haunting uh, uh which by the way Wahlberg what no spoiler alert yeah yeah sorry Wahlberg we we forgot you because we were talking about things we like yeah um due to the box office failure of the haunting Spielberg sacked him and took over directing it himself huh but I believe that Jan um, Jan DeBont is a producer on Minority Report. I think that's what they wound up giving him was like some producer credit. Yeah, he is. He's um, that's what he's listed as on the IMDb page. Yeah, but dude, he had his hand in so many, so many movies. Mm-hmm. Basic Instinct, Lethal Weapon Three, um, The Hunt for Red October. Like it's just wild that I mean, it, it, Cujo. He he was director of photography on Cujo. I, I'm just embarrassed. I didn't know about this guy. I don't know yeah. what happened. He just totally yeah. slipped under my radar. Maybe, maybe Lara Croft just killed him because everything. I didn't hate the haunting. Uh, I, I just think that this guy should have done more. Yeah, actually. So if you look at Speed and Twister and Speed Two, which I know didn't live up to Speed the original, but if you look at those three, particularly the first two, there, I kind of feel like he is what Michael Bay should have been. Yes. Because you get the explosions, you get the loud noises, but you don't get it in hackneyed and, and oh, well, I mean, it's all over the top, but in annoyingly over the top fashion. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with that. And we all know that Jason Patrick ruined Speed 2. That had nothing to do with Yon DeBont. Yeah. yeah, that's a theory I'm willing to sign off on. 
Um, yeah, I mean, can you, can you imagine doing speed? Um, I or can't, man. I've speed? heard it's really rough on yeah, you. Yeah, I was, I was about to say I should have worded that better. <laughs> um, can you imagine making the movie Speed and then turning around and doing Twister and basically the world's your oyster and then you come up with Speed 2? Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a fire your agent deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the money was so rich that he just couldn't turn it down. Yeah, maybe he thought he had something more to say. I mean, it could be on him, but I kind of feel like that's that's when you part ways with your manager. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that I think that that just goes to show you the like this. Hey, we just we just caught lightning in a bottle with a movie. So now we need to make another one to make a quick buck off of it. That's been going on for the last 25 to 30 years in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Speed was a real fun movie that was bolstered by the chemistry between Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. And no one, no one thought like, oh, well, if we can't get Keanu, then we probably shouldn't do this movie. It was, oh, yeah, we'll just go ahead and do it. And, you know, two two out of the three big things are, are in, you know, two out, of the, two out of the three components are in this movie. So we should be fine. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, they didn't do that with Twister. They saved it for like 2021 to do that with Twister. Um, but you're right. I mean, that's standard fare for, for Hollywood. I, that's still too negative for my desires to talk about this movie. Um, so I want to I want to come back to Positivity Town, but I want to do it in a weird way. One of my favorite things to do when we review an older movie mm-hmm. is to go back and read the reviews that came out around the time the movie was released. And I generally start those with Roger Ebert. I think he's, even if I don't agree with him, he's thought-provoking. Yeah. So straight up, man, most of the reviews were for uh, were, were, that came out alongside this movie really pan it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I don't know. Maybe we were just spoiled in 96. But, man, I, so what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, I'd like to go through some of the criticisms and uh, shoot them down if, if you're yes. interested in handling it that way. Uh, yeah. So one of the ones that came up pretty quickly that I saw in multiple reviews is that the characters are too thin. Okay. And, I mean, they're not um, they're not Lady Macbeth. <laughs> sure. But that also doesn't mean they're thin. And I think Paxton and Helen Hunt in particular do a great job of fleshing that out. Mm-hmm. The the scene where they have ended up in the Jeep together before they get to the first tornado, you know, they, they wreck into basically a bridge. And on the way there, this conversation turns into an argument. And, and you get so much of the conflict between them. You know, I think Ebert himself says the movie doesn't care to even explain how their, mar- how their marriage fell apart or whatever. And I'm like, no, that scene in the truck does all that for you. Mm-hmm. You can see that uh, he is a guy who wants to basically have a life outside of chasing tornadoes, although he's deeply passionate about it. And she is so driven that he can't even hang with her. And then you start seeing these very realistic, subtle little jabs. And it's not just the jabs, but it's like to someone who's not been living in their marriage with them, the thing he's insulted by doesn't look like an insult. But it could very well be an insult that was subtly delivered because she knows him so well. Like if you're around people in marriages that fell apart, there's a version of that that I've seen a hundred times. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it. It's not thin. It's just condensed. And they do a really good job of telling you who these people are in a short amount of time. And 
Aunt Meg too when mm-hmm. when Joe gets out of the shower and she comes in and there's just a little interchange between the two of them. I basically know everything I need to know about their couple, this couple, their marriage, what drove them apart, and why they're star-crossed lovers. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I'll I'll say that like some of the supporting cast are probably paper thin, but it's not their movie. Yeah, they're supporting characters, right? Uh, so. Yeah, for me, man, that's that's bunk. Uh, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt do an amazing job in this movie. Even Carrie Elways does a great job being the smarmy heel uh, in this, and, and you know exactly what his motivations are. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's really it may be like two or three lines in the movie, but it gives you everything you need to know, and he plays it so well that you know who this person is. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Paxton is telling Jamie Gertz about him in the truck. And, you know, the biggest line is, is he's in it for the money. Well, yeah, obviously this guy's a jerk. Obviously this guy is in it for the notoriety and the money. He's not in it for the passion like um, Bill and Joe are. And that's all you need to know about this guy. Like, I mean, why do we need, <laughs> why do we need to have like, hours and hours of backstory on these people if uh if if all it let me let me put it this way if all it takes is three lines for me to care about somebody either positively or negatively why do i need more backstory than that yeah so again i'm with you and thanks by the way for saying his name since i never can not to make everything about me watching it last night but the people i was watching it with uh, one of them says that said to me that a criticism of the movie they had is that his death, Jonas's death, is far too gruesome for what uh, what the the shadiness of his character does has like justified. Mm. And so I went at that two different ways, and I've got I've got two theories, and one of them I think that's actually true. And when I think about it, one that guy really did suck that bad. Mm-hmm. He stole uh, the design for the Dorothy, so he's a mm-hmm. thief. Mm-hmm. He uh, basically preys upon these people that he despises because he knows Bill is a mystic and has talents he doesn't. So he just kind of denigrates them, steals from them, but then uses them, right? So he's a user. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing that I think really sells it is that when being warned off the path by the people he knows, knows better than him, right? Well, that mm-hmm. was set up in the movie. Bill knows better than Jonas, and Jonas recognizes that by following Bill. He turns off the switch, gets his colleague killed in some of the most... In, in gruesome fashion that I had like blocked out of my head, I just forgot how terrible it is what happens to that driver. And then when he gets sucked up into the vortex, I mean, I think he's earned every bit of it. Yeah, he. I mean, he's hoisted by his own petard mm-hmm, for sure. Now, yeah, the, I oh, go ahead after you, sir. I was just going to say I, I disagree with uh, with with what the your friends were saying on that. And I think he definitely deserves it. Um, he's at that point he's Icarus. Hmm. Yeah. He's he is ignoring the um, he's ignoring the advice of of people who know better than him. He is chasing something that he has no right to have. And he is, you know, he's too close to the sun. And when you get too close to the sun, there are dire consequences. And I I hate it for Eddie, the driver. Yeah, uh, because Eddie seems like a good egg. He seems like he, you know, he he went with Jonas on this because. Uh, you know, Jonas probably offered him money and stuff to do so, but he seems like, Hey, we should listen to this. You know, we should, we should probably do what they're telling us to do. And Jonas gets them both killed, but 
uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a justifiable death for uh, like you. I mean, like you alluded to a scumbag. Yeah. Straight up scumbag. Like you you were talking about. He he made the choices that put him here. And it's like a it's a just it's just a just outcome in, in, a, in a movie sense. I'm never going to root for that to actually happen to someone. Of course not. But now I like Carrie as an actor. And I think there is a charm to him as sort of a scumbag. Mm-hmm. And so I told this person I was watching it with, I said, look, if, if that's your read and you take it that that um, he didn't deserve what happened to him, I think you can very reasonably read what happened to him as a tragedy then. That look at how monstrous these things really are. Look at what it can do to people. Look at how unfair it is. You know, if if that death is excessive punishment, it, it is there to enhance our fear of the tornado and see them as monsters, right? Yeah. So I, I don't mean to like, I mean, I told the person I was talking to, I was like, I'm going to hem you in from one angle or another. I'm really not trying to do that. I just want to say that I think either way, Jonas's character is well skillfully used in Twister right down to his death. Yeah. Well, let's let's put it this way. Um if we're going to go back to like the the monster movie cliche, right? Or or a Jason or um or Michael Myers. Carrie always is the dickhead quarterback who has made fun of the final girl through the whole movie, has been drinking and having sex and Doing all the all the things we know are wrong in horror movies, and he's getting what he deserves. Yep. And any time that those things happen to that d bag quarterback, we're always like, yeah, I mean, we saw it coming. Sure, no he, one ever goes, oh man, he just he was just his insides are now outside. Like <laughs> that's horrible. I hate that. Like regardless of who that actor is. It's always, hey, dude, you were you were a jerk. You got what was coming to you. It's the same thing here, you know. Carrie always, you stole from these people. You you are blinded by ambition, and unfortunately, you know, you, you did have sex. You screwed over Bill and Joe. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Now you got to now you got to pay the piper. Yeah. And and we all know you never have sex in a horror movie. That's right. Yeah. So. See, it follows, and every yeah. other slasher movie in our archives. Yeah. Well, yeah. I rest so, my case. oh, sorry. What was that? Oh, I just said I rest my case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well rested. Uh, I, I, I just want to say that it's in service to making us see the the tornado as a threat, and he pulled it off. And so, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand for a lot of criticism there. No, I agree. The other, I think we all know Helen Hunt is crazy good. Bill Paxton is crazy good. I really like the Melissa character by Jamie Gertz, too, Mm -hmm. because they bring her right up to the line of making her despicable, but stop short so that, like, it matters when they have their final parting before Bill goes to be with Joe forever. You know, yeah, if if they had made her much worse or more antagonistic, uh, you the 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 separation there after the Quanaset hut is destroyed doesn't matter. It shouldn't be in the film. But they did just enough to say, yeah, they shouldn't be together, but she's not a bad person. Right. She just doesn't belong in this world. So that it actually means something when he mm-hmm. when he chooses Joe over her. And yeah. I just think it was well done. One of the uh one of the criticisms I read is that there was too many subplots in the movie. And it actually frustrates me that the same people will say too many subplots and also characters who aren't fleshed out. Because one of the ways they flesh out Joe and 
Bill is by having Jamie there or Melissa there as a third party. Like that subplot matters to coming to love Joe and Bill, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's just irrational criticism. It seems that way. The other thing that Melissa does, and, and again, some of this is like finding a box of old toys in the attic that I'd forgotten about. Mm. Both Jamie and Philip Seymour Hoffman, their characters help pull the audience in, I think, because they stand as like avatars for the for the watcher. You're either, mm-hmm. you know, when you're thinking about a huge tornado tearing stuff up, you're either Melissa Reeves. You don't belong in this world. These things terrify you. Uh, the thought of being in a truck spinning between tornadoes is maybe as catastrophic a natural disaster as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So you identify with her and she helps you understand the film better. Or you're the adrenaline junkie who just wants to drive at a monster at 85 miles an hour with rock music playing, and you think it would be a blast to be out driving through cornfields in the Midwest looking for a scary storm, Mm -hmm. and you're Philip Seymour Hoffman. And so, I mean, there's connection points with both of those characters that pull the audience in. And and again, I'm just going to say the writing and the directing, this is not a weakness in the movie. This is really efficient storytelling, and it should be celebrated. Yes. I completely agree, my man. I know you'll agree, too. I just miss Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, dude, I'll tell you, when he comes on the screen, uh, I, haven't, I haven't watched this movie in a long time. When he came on the screen, I legit teared up. He's so good, man. I mean, what was in that guy? So the polls for me, this is not a sophisticated film for him. But like this is one part of the PSH spectrum. The other is the bad guy in the Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. He can do everything. He could do everything in between, man. We lost. Mm-hmm. We lost a treasure when we lost him. And I mean, I, I know his own choices put us yeah. there, but gosh, it yeah. sucks. He's not around. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it sucks that um, I won't try to be as delicate with this as possible, but it sucks that one night's worth of mistakes can cost so many people, such a bright light in the world. Um, you know, as, as far as I can remember, he relapsed and that's what did him in. He had been sober for years or at least a year and fell off the wagon, fell off the wagon. And, uh, you know, and that, that did it, man. And it's, it's terrible, man. It is terrible. I, you know, we, <sighs> We, as a society, are weird because we get attached to people that we've never met before and probably never will meet. But uh, for me, man, that dude, uh, not to sound pretentious, but he he made me feel things, you know? Yep. yep. And uh, it just it just really sucks that that I don't think we saw the best of him. I think that there was still a lot left. He had a lot left in the tank. And yeah. it's sad. You know, it's it's like Heath Ledger, man. You know, when uh, when I found out that Heath Ledger passed away, it was heartbreaking. And that was even before you know the Dark Knight came out. But it was just, man, what what amazing work we got out of those guys and what what could have been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cracked up on this time because, he again, this is a simplistic character for him. He's there for comic relief and to draw the audience in as the adrenaline junkie. But. I don't know whose choices these things even are, but the way that he just won't respect Melissa's private space yeah. cracked me up, man. There's a scene where 
it's really early on where Bill's chasing Joe around, trying to get her to sign the paperwork. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of handed, uh, so Bill handed Melissa off to uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's Dustin. And so Dustin just kind of has her the rest of the movie anytime she's not with Bill. And you see them kind of in the back of a couple different shots. They're just walking around basically a front yard holding hands. Yeah. Like nobody's holding hands except that dude who's so over the top who Melissa's like, I I guess I have to hold his hand now. Yeah. And then when he's explaining stuff to her, he's just right up in her face. Uh, I would not want to be her, but it made for excellent comedic, uh, you know, scenes. The suck zone. (laughs) That's right. I mean, you know, there's more technical explanations, but that's what it is. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so good. Uh, You know, I remember as a kid, (laughs) I remember as a kid thinking, oh, they're going to get together by the end of this thing. (laughs) Like just, just like how, how up in her, up in his, or up in her grill he was and stuff. Uh I just remember being like, man, wouldn't that be funny if, if they wind up falling in love? Yeah. That deleted scenes out there somewhere or it needs to be. Melissa, I thought you left. Oh, I did, but I came back for Dusty. <laughs> Sorry, Extreme. Yeah, you'll rue the day you drop this one. Yeah. Uh, to to kind of transition with Philip Seymour Hoffman, I kind of think Philip Seymour Hoffman was a version of Paxton. And I'll tell you why I think that. It comes from an obscure place. There, there's a review on a website that you may not be comfortable visiting. HighDefDigest.com, which sounds like something that's going to give you browser malware. Malware, yeah. easy for me to say. Yeah, but definitely the malware. <laughs> they did a pretty good review of this, and one of the paragraphs says this. I'm going to read it if you if you'll indulge me. Of course. Bill Harding, played by Paxton, and his soon-to-be ex-wife Joe Helen Hunt, set aside their differences to help a team of storm chasers insert a device into a tornado that will reveal the secrets of other meteorological terrors. When they get down to Talking about Paxton, he says that this is basically an example of how Paxton, again, just reading here, reinvented himself as a director with 2001's Overlooked Horror Gem Frailty, which you and I would co-sign, but also later a cable television phenomenon with HBO's Big Love. Before that, however, Bill Paxton built his career on a string of character roles, whether screaming Game Over Man in Aliens Flicking a knife at Schwarzenegger in The Terminator or yucking it up as a used car salesman in True Lies, Paxton had a knack for nabbing minor roles in classic blockbusters. Transitioning into the spotlight with 96's Twister. Um, and and so I, I actually think that that kind of works for Philip Seymour Hoffman too, right? Like he's in the background. He's nailing these character roles. And then where Twister proves he can be a leading man. I think we could have seen a string of Philip Seymour Hoffman leading films and kind of in the same way we got with Paxton. Yeah. If he hadn't tragically fallen off the wagon. Yeah. What could have been? Yeah, man. It's it's uh, really, really sad to think of the amazing things we could have seen Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman in. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad that we got the time that we had with him, and I'm so glad that he's a part of this, and he really is. For me, he is the everyman in this thing, you know, and, um, you, you know, you're right. Like he he and Melissa are the eyes and ears of the audience. You know, uh, I think I think if you went into this movie 
as a tornado chaser or a storm chaser, uh, I think that you're looking through this this movie in Dusty's eyes. If you're new to the game like I was, you know, or what I assume most people were back in 1996, you're looking through this, you know, through the eyes of of Melissa Reeves. Sure. Um, But but their dynamic and their chemistry together is is wonderful. And I wish that we could have gotten some kind of like romantic comedy movie between uh, not between Dusty and Melissa, but just with Jamie Gertz and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think they had a they had a lovely chemistry about them. And I think that would have been fun. Yeah. Well, on that front, too, this movie is super deep in terms of a cast. Yeah, I was just about to say the exact same thing. Uh, it, they don't scrimp. And I guess these people just didn't have big stars back then, maybe. But the movie was made for like 92 million bucks. It's not like they spent a ton of money on on actors, but Alan Ruck, Sean Whalen, uh, Jeremy Davey shows up for a minute. Um, that guy who plays Eddie the Driver, Zach Grenier or Grenier, whatever. Mm-hmm. Grenier. Uh, there's just everybody comes on screen. You're like, oh, that guy. Yeah. There's a there's a muscle dude who's in Jonas's crew, played by Abraham Ben Ruby, who I loved in a movie called The Program about college football. Yeah. And you just see him for a minute. Jake Busey is in one of the labs, you yeah. know? And you're like, man, alive, this thing is stacked down to the non-speaking roles. Again, something that stood out on this rewatch. This movie is deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I didn't I, I don't think that I knew who the majority of these people were, you know, before this movie. Um, even like with Alan Ruck, I don't think it like I don't think my ten year old brain connected. Oh, Ferris Bueller, mm. you know. Uh, but yeah, going back and watching it now, I'm just like, holy smokes, man! Were these guys just not? <laughs> was there was there some kind of actor strike I didn't know about? Oh, sure, and that's why they got them like dirt cheap, or they really or what wanted to do a Crichton movie. Yeah. It's uh yeah there's 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 a lot to it. Let let me ask you this question since we're on this subject. Do you, what do you think about Jeremy Davies? Um, I loved him in Justified. Okay, and that's the defining impression I have of him. Mm-hmm. But I noticed in this the one little speaking turn he gets. He's just the same guy. You know what I mean? He's got that vocal tick. Mm-hmm. And that's okay by me because I like that, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a fan. Do, do I take it you're not? Well, I, I think I was a fan, um, you know, because he, he plays uh, Daniel Faraday in Lost. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I totally blocked that out. I only think of Dickie Bennett. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, and I, I was a fan of his because I thought that he was making like really cool choices with the character uh-huh. and then come to realize, no, that's just how he is. So my opinion on him has kind of changed. I think he's still a decent actor, but I just, I really thought like he was totally committed to that role and was, was knocking it out of the park, but instead they just, they just casted it really well. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, for sure. I, the only thing I'll just say is something we've talked about often. That's kind of true for a lot of our favorite actors who are who are better actors than Jeremy is, higher profile anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, Denzel is Denzel in every movie. And that's okay by me because I like Denzel. Yeah. And I think I like Jeremy. Uh, and so I'm good with it. Yeah. I just, I, I guess for me, my thing was, um, did the loss stink uh, ruin your perception of him? Not when I do what I did with Bray Wyatt's career, buddy. I just yeah. self-edit my consciousness. Man, I'm telling you, you got this thing figured out, Jeff. Yeah. I'm just... Uh, I'm I'm having to deal with too many things that are terrible that I can't control. <laughs> I can control what I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. Uh, the last thing, really, that I just kind of want to gush about, and I think it helps this movie hold up. You said you were ten 
when you watch this. I was a little bit older, but I was I guess I was old enough that like the movie, the 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 vehicles in the movie don't look super dated to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember those hairstyles. Yeah. (laughs) So that helps. But the movie holds up in my mind in a way that makes me wonder if remaking it is even possible. The movie holds up, I think, because the practical effects in this thing are so incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like a Mad Max movie where you're like, this is going to be something fun to watch forever because none of this is blue screen, really. I know some of the tornadoes were computer generated, but so many of the the big pieces in this film really happened. You know, they blow yeah. up something and they blow it up again. They throw it through the air. Uh I think this film, I think people like my kids will probably be watching this. They love it already. I'm assuming when they're my age, they'll go dig it out and watch it again. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I, I don't think that this movie gets the the love that it deserves. Yeah. You know, when you when you hear about uh, the movies from the 90s, you, you very seldomly or at least to me, you very seldomly hear about Twister. And, and that's a shame because. Uh, I think I said this before when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, but there was a time in my life where I would have told you this was my favorite movie. Sure. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Um, as, as a matter of fact, I want to say that the VHS release of this movie was on or around my 11th birthday. And I just remember telling my mom, like, all I want is Twister on VHS. That was a good choice, man. You were you were a prodigy. <laughs> I can't talk to that. You were a prodigy. <laughs> and uh yeah. Now now I'm gonna have to give that a goog and find out when it came out on VHS. Uh kids, for those of you that don't know, VHSs were before DVDs. You had to rewind them. Isn't that bizarre? We had to sit around and yeah. wait to watch a movie because we, we needed to rewind it. I had yeah. a I had a VHS tape rewinder that was nice. faster than my VCR. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And when you would when you would go to stores, you could rent these VHSs and um, (laughs) you you were so mad when they didn't rewind the VHS because then that, you know, you had what, probably two or three minutes or at the time where you felt that way, if not longer. Yeah, Yeah, if not longer. Uh, Yeah, the the VHS release date was October the 1st, 1997. And of course, my birthday's on the 7th, or excuse me, 1996, October the 1st, 1996. My birthday's on the 7th. So so not not too long after that, I was like, hey, mom, let's go. uh, Let's go get Twister. Precocious child making making good choices even back then. Yeah. Favorite Twister? Uh, in the movie, yeah, yeah, I'm a, you know Cookville at the beginning of 2020. The first sign 2020 was going to be awful was hit by devastating tornadoes. So I will have no favorite real life tornadoes. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I I originally was going to ask like, hey man, have you ever been through a tornado before? Not realizing that you know three months ago, uh, devastating tornadoes hit and uh, we lost friends and friends lost property and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, that was uh-huh. another thing that stood out this time. You see footage of tornadoes, but when they drive back into Wakita after they leave the uh, the drive-in town, mm-hmm. that is what my friend's neighborhood looked like. I think I may have told you even on the podcast that it, that it looked like a, a huge rat had made a nest, nest out of an entire neighborhood. Yeah. And when they're driving through Wakita, now I didn't watch a house collapse in on itself the way that Megs does, mm-hmm. but everything there was super spot on accurate. And just having gone to dig my friend and his family 
I mean, they were out by the time I got there, but to dig out what could be salvaged from their stuff within, I guess I was there like 90 minutes after the tornado left. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just struck by how real that post-tornado carnage was. And, and my friend and his family, you know, it happened in the middle of the night, the same way it did in Wakita. They didn't have a ton of warning. So when they came out into that rubble field, they they were barefooted in like nightgowns and pajama pants and stuff. And so as yeah. the camera kind of pans across Wakita on the drive up to Meg's house, you see a family who's out doing that. You know, the, the attention is on the family that looks like Joe's family when she was a kid. Right. But you also get this family kind of stumbling around. And I remember thinking at my friend's place, like, how did you not step on a live wire? Mm-hmm. How did you not step on a nail? Because I spent the whole day, like the boots I wore that first day, they're ruined because I stepped on so many nails. The The soles of the boots are just trash. Mm. How how did they not do it? And you look at that stuff and you're like, man, it just really is unfair. Yeah. It's unfair that this can happen in this world. Yeah. I think I think we've probably talked about it before, but um, golly, man, almost 10 years ago now, Chattanooga got hit real bad. uh -huh. Uh, with the tornado and I was at home. Um, I, <laughs> I lived in this, I lived in this house that was on this big hill. Uh, and you basically, it was a gorgeous view because you were able to overlook downtown Chattanooga. Nice. And, um, we lost power and you could feel it come through, you know, you could feel it come through our, our neighborhood. And then uh, I was actually, I was living with big Al at the time. Uh, so it, you know, it hit our house. Thankfully, no damage to our house. But as it went through, I remember I just sat on the front porch and watched it. And and then later that night, Al and I walked around the neighborhood. And that was that was the first thing that I remember was being like, holy smokes, man, this is I just lived through Twister. Yeah. And uh, it was you know, it was crazy. You know, um, Chattanooga got hit pretty hard. But Ringgold, Georgia. Oh, uh, yeah. Where you and I have frequented a couple different times. Ringgold, Georgia got hit the hardest. And to see, uh, you know, when I first moved to Chattanooga, about a year after moving to Chattanooga, I moved in with a buddy of mine and Ringgold to devastation. You know, the, the, a town that I had frequented so often. It was it was nuts, man. Yeah, I was working for Same. a trucking company at that time. Uh, yeah, that's right. To connect it to to Twister, you know, when the when the the gas truck comes flying out of the F five, incredible special effect. But mm -hmm. um, I was working for a trucking company, and I remember after that tornado hit, and Ringgold was one of our service centers, and they sent us security tape footage from the yard where all the semis and trailers uh, were parked. And in that footage, the tornado was just flipping these huge pieces of equipment. Uh, and, and, you know, you would think, ah, trailers, they're, they're, they take up a lot of volume, but if they're empty, wind can move them pretty easy. We're talking about like fully loaded, at least 40,000 pound loads, just flipping it in the air like a kid plays with sticks. And it's surreal, uh, but it also looks like Twister. You know what I mean? Like the, the special effects were that good because they actually looked like what I later came to see is the, the effects of tornadoes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was crazy, man. It was it was definitely crazy. Uh, while we're on the subject of real life tornadoes, I remember when a tornado passed through Cookville uh, when I was a child, like five six years old. Oh, uh, my uh, my stepfather at the time. We were driving into Cookville, and he saw 
I mean, just, I mean, everything just got dark and he looked up ahead and saw that there was a funnel and he, uh, made a U-turn. Like he went into the median, yeah, uh, you know, and made the U-turn. And I was like, what's going on? I remember just being like, what's going on? And he's like, we gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of here. And we got kind of caught in a little bit of it, but nothing, you know, obviously nothing bad. Um, man, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It is, it is insane, uh, that these things are, are, they actually happen, you know, yeah. oftentimes we get on here and we talk about things that are, that are scary, but obviously are, are, are fiction, you know, and this is a, this is a week where we're talking about something that's, that's incredibly scary and incredibly real. And, um, for sure, you know, and it, and it sucks that like we both, we both had to deal with that this year, you know, um, you, obviously you dealt with it more than I did, but, um, you know, I, I lost a friend of mine in the, uh, and the tornado that hit Cookville. Uh, it's just, it's just crazy, crazy how accurate this movie is to all of that and how it's almost 30 years old. Yeah. I think it's going to hold up, man. I'm, I don't know anything about the science in this thing. I don't know if we send little bat balls up into the tornado to figure stuff out. I, all that's, I can't speak to that may date yeah. it and whatever, but that was never like what got me into the movie anyway. Uh, if if it's not science and hairdos with a lot of bangs and uh, the, the the new newly redesigned at the time Dodge Ram that kind of takes people out of it, I think I think this movie may hang around for another thirty years. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, man, it, it to me it's underrated. It doesn't get the love that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, it does on saw something scary, buddy. We're fixing. Yeah, that. yeah, for sure. Um, I wish. I wish that this movie was more celebrated, um, you know, outside of our circles, mm-hmm. uh, because I, th- I think it definitely deserves it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, the first movie that I watched in theaters was Batman, the original 1989 Batman with Michael Keaton. But for the longest time, this movie was my favorite theater experience, you know, and I think we talked a little bit about it um, when we brought this up a few weeks ago. But I was with my aunt and my cousin. And we were in, you know, we were in Nashville watching it. And of course, the Nashville movie theaters, even the worst Nashville movie theater was better than what we had in Cookville. <laughs> had? Past tense? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I get you. Um, I get you, though. Yeah. And so, it, you know, you feel like you're in the tornado, you know, because yeah. of the 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 sounds and, and everything that was going on with it. And I was just, I was just blown away. I was just absolutely blown away. And I uh, couldn't wait to go back and watch it. I think that I actually drugged my mom to go see it in Cookville, um, you know, maybe a week or two after that. And and we didn't we didn't watch movies multiple times in theaters. You know, sure. that's a that's a luxury I have now. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we didn't do that when I was a kid. And uh, so this this movie means a lot to me. Yeah. And uh, I I'm very upset that they're going to try to remake it or they're going to try to reboot it or whatever they're going to try to do because um i i know that it it's not but to me this is a perfect movie and i know that there's probably some people that are listening to this and they're like i can't believe you'd say something like that but to me it is man like it's just it doesn't have to have the greatest actors even though it does have one of the greatest actors of all time in it uh you know it doesn't have to have uh a locked on script it doesn't you know, I know that we we um, tend to criticize movies for things like that now, 
uh, call it nostalgia, call it whatever you want to, but man, this, this movie is it for me. And I'm so glad that we were able to, to watch it, uh, not only to get the, the stank out of my mouth from paranormal activity, but just in a year where things are so crazy and there's so much like negativity and, um, there's a lot of scary crap going on in the world. It was almost like a, it was almost like my favorite blanket. Yeah. You know, getting yeah, wrapped back up into it. Awesome comparison. And um, it was nice to turn my brain off for two hours and go back to a time where the world made a little more sense. And um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is it just made me miss Bill Paxton and Philip Seymour Hoffman more. Yeah. Rest in peace, man. Rest in when, peace to both of them. We lost both those guys way too soon. For sure. But I'm, uh, again, happy that we had the time that we had with them and uh, really happy that we that we pulled the trigger on this one because, man, um, you know, we'll we'll answer the questions here in a minute. But uh, this was a good one. This was a this was a win. You know, we've been talking about it for a few weeks, how we needed a win. And in my opinion, this was a win. For sure. I I, I kind of came to a similar conclusion with yours. Uh, that this movie works. You, you use the the language of a blanket. Now this is fictional. We we don't know the end of our own stories. We don't get that luxury. But this these are likable people facing incredible natural disasters and you know kind of like crazy circumstances around them. And they came out okay on the far side. And you know they came out holding each other. Mm-hmm. And so even the disaster they faced was like renewing and, and restorative. I don't know that everybody listening to this, everybody participating in this podcast will get that story, but it was nice to get to live in a world where that story played out for a while. Yeah, for sure. But do we want to do the question, sir? Uh, yeah, man, I guess. Is there anything else you want to, you want to talk about or, or I mean, I kind of just want to go good? through and throw our favorite lines at each other over and over, but that would, oh my gosh, man. that would get monotonous pretty quickly for the listeners. And yeah. Gosh, there's so many. Yeah. It's like tombstone in that way. Like everything's sort of quotable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, um, let's just, let's just do it, man. Uh, did we see something scary? You know, in the, in the exact sense, you said that this is your favorite blanket. No, but my kids did. And the first time I saw this movie, I did. And, uh, I, I'm not really living there anymore, but I think the person, if, if you're, if you're not as familiar with this movie as I am and as Derek is, you're going to look at this movie and say, yeah, yeah, they got my blood racing a couple of times. I think the opening scene of dad being taken, uh, the, the, the scene in the Quantaset hut, that's a mechanic shop where they're down in the pit and stuff's flying around and stuff's flying at them. I, I think it'll get your blood racing. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that we did see something scary, man. I, uh, even, even not watching this movie in a long time, that, that opening scene with the tornado is, it's still something that I remember, you know, as a kid being like, oh, crap, this is this is going to be something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with with just our added our added experiences with tornadoes in real life, uh, even though I love this movie and and would probably be able to watch it every day and and still you know love it just as much. Uh, there's definitely an added fear factor into it. Uh, so, yeah, I think we saw something scary for sure. Cool by me. Scale of one to ten. Uh, to quote the great Billy Bob from uh, Varsity Blues, a freaking ten. Yeah, I, I mean that's the thing. Like I don't list this among my favorite movies, as I already talked about. 
uh, it's definitely not Citizen Kane or Gone with the Wind or, you know, whatever your pinnacle is. Right. But, it's a good movie. Yeah. It just doesn't have weaknesses. So I guess that was, I'm. That was more. That was more of a shot of Citizen Kane and Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of what people think of as the pinnacle. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I know. And, you know, somebody like asked me to defend that over and against. I'm trying to think of just an unassailable great movie. I'm, I'm going to like tip the cap to whatever the other movie is. Because this one just doesn't feel as sophisticated as the you know the the Hall of Fame of cinematic achievement. Sure, but the movie doesn't have any weaknesses, so I'm just going to give it an honorary ten and say you done well, kid. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and uh, again, I know there's bias and stuff on this, but um, to me, man, there's not much better. And I, and I'm the same way. Like I'm I this this movie will probably if you ask me to name my top ten favorite movies, I don't think this movie would be on it. Um, but anytime that anybody brings up Twister, I'm always like, dude, I love that movie so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to end up in my top 10 of most watched movies. Yeah. It's probably already there. So what does that say? Uh, I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give a criticism to the movie. It's an awesome, awesome movie. Well, man, I think that's going to do it. I think we've, uh, we pretty much exhausted our, uh, our thoughts and opinions on Twister. Uh, this movie is phenomenal, and if you haven't seen it before or you haven't seen it in a long time, I suggest going and watching it. If you have Netflix right now, it's on Netflix, and it is. there are worse ways to spend two hours of your life right now than to watch uh, Twister. So I would suggest to do that, full show. I am super glad to co-sign that. There may not be many better ways to spend your entertainment hour than watching Twister. Yeah. For sure, man. It is. Uh, it's great. So uh, for those of you that have seen it or uh, have an opinion on it, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our Facebook group. We saw something scary and join that group up and let us know what you thought about this episode. What you think about Twister and uh, throw out some more suggestions on movies that you'd like for us to review later on down the road. I know that we will eventually get to Final Destination. Uh, I just got to have some separation time between franchises before we hop right back in. Oh, no. Does this mean that Final Destination may be our final destination? <laughs> it might be mine. I might just <laughs> it might just be it for me. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, hey, have you watched uh, Unsolved Mysteries yet? No, I haven't. But I'll tell you what, man, I'm, that is one thing that I planned on doing today uh, while I'm resting up is is trying to watch some Unsolved Mysteries. So I will have that done by next week so that we can review it. Okay, cool. There's, apparently, The Relic on Netflix is pretty good, too. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I've heard some decent things. So maybe we've got some content to look forward to. Yeah, for sure. I cannot uh, wait to talk to you about Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch them, and I'm excited to talk to you about them as well. Uh, I'll tell you what else is great content right now is over on the Sauce of the Scary um, podcast page or feed, however you want to call it. You've got a bonus episode up from earlier this week where Jeff and I gave you guys a little peek behind the curtain on our Patreon page. And you got to listen to our review of The Hunt, which I think, Jeff, if you're if I'll be so bold, was probably the biggest surprise of this year so far. Cinematic wise. Yep. (laughs) We went in, I think, both kind of having no expectations of anything positive there. Came out feeling much more positively about the film than we would have expected. Yep. Uh, also, I kind of I think I put this in the show notes, but listening back to that thing, I realized that's like an oddly personal and kind of poignant episode for us because it's in the early days of the quarantine, and we're like, "What do you look forward to doing 
you know, what are you going to look forward to doing when the world resumed? And yeah. at least one of the things we mentioned, we still haven't had a chance to resume. So yeah. there's a lot going on with that one. For sure. So a uh, little bonus episode for you there. So make sure and, and listen to that. And while you're on the podcast feed from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Plus, wherever you guys are, or Google Play, not Google Plus, uh, make sure and leave us a five-star review. Um, make sure that you are subscribed so that you can get those downloaded every week. Uh, for your listening pleasure. And of course, if uh, the Patreon review of The Hunt tickled your fancy a little bit, why don't you go ahead and go to patreon.com forward slash scary podcast and sign up for as little as $3 a month. You get a bonus episode each and every month. And uh, for those uh, those patrons, Jeff is going to hopefully, I'm not going to put that on you just in case you can't, but hopefully Jeff will have his review of the Japanese paranormal activity up there fairly soon. Uh, you will not hear from me because I will not watch it. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I want to talk to somebody, um, Patreon peeps. I'd love to hear your thoughts. So uh, check me out on there eventually, and I'll try to send you a heads up when that goes live. And let's let's talk about, I think it's called Japanese Nights or something like that. It's it's not Tokyo Drift, but it's kind of the same deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for some reason, Vin Diesel's in both. It's weird. He's in everything. That's true. I'm Groot. He's the new Samuel L. Jackson. There seems to be a step down there, but that's for another. That's for another time. <laughs> yeah, one day we'll uh, one day we'll debate top ten actors. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman. After that, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> All right, man, I'm done here. I'll quit. I'll quit uh, prolonging the end of the episode. No, you're fine, man. You're fine. Um, yeah. So be on the lookout next week for unsolved mysteries and. Uh, we look forward to telling you about that or talking to you about that. He's at right, Jeff. I'm at Derek Zoo, and we are out of time. Guys, thanks so much. I know we kind of went long a little bit on this one this week, but I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, go check out the Swamp Match with Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman. I think that you'll enjoy it, even if you're not a pro wrestling fan. And then, of course, go check out Twister as well. We'll talk to you guys next week, talking some unsolved mysteries. But until then, beware of clowns and sewers, white people with teacups, and blind men with turkey basters. See you guys back here next week. Bye-bye, man. 